You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode number 410, and I'm your co-host, Gemma Isroth. And I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Ufuk is the engineering manager of the Ruby infrastructure team at Shopify. After transitioning his career from physics to software development, Ufuk has had the fortune of working with lots of interesting technologies at various levels of the stack. Originally from Istanbul, Turkey, he currently works remotely from the mostly sunny island of Cyprus. Welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, Ufuk. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Thanks so much for joining. Ufuk is also my manager. I should have added that bit earlier, but on the Ruby and Rails infrastructure team. Ufuk, what is your developer origin story? Oh boy, how much time do you have? Okay, <laughs> so me and computers go way back. I think I was about 12 or 13 when I had my first hand-me-down Sinclair Spectrum 48K. It used to belong to a relative and then like they upgraded to a Commodore. So they gave me that. And then I started playing games on it. After a while, I got bored of playing games. And the magical thing about the Sinclair Spectrum, I keep saying this every time I tell the story, is that every key on the keyboard had actually like a basic command printed on it. And after a while, you start asking questions of like, what does this like print mean? What does this go sub mean? And I was curious and it had come with a manual. So I looked up the manual and I basically, it was teaching basic and I ended up teaching myself enough basic to be dangerous. So like, I don't want it to sound like I'm a completely self-taught developer. At school, I was lucky enough to go to a school where we had an Apple IIe lab at the time as a Sinclair Spectrum lab. And then in my senior year of high school, we actually had a year of programming lesson where we even did things like recursion. So I'm not completely self-taught, but then I didn't go and study computer science. Math and physics were greater passions for me. So I started studying physics and math, and then I ended up starting my physics PhD too, during which time... I kind of rediscovered programming and computers and I started, you know, building small things and web apps to scratch my own itches. And from there, it kind of turned into a second career for me. I finished my physics PhD, but by that time I was already professionally working as a software developer. And like you said in the introduction, I've been lucky enough to work at a few startups doing interesting stuff across various levels of the software stack. I worked on certain voice applications, telco applications, building web applications in various languages, and I am where I am today. So today you're, as we said, manager, a pretty technical manager. Why did you become a manager? So I joined Shopify at the tail end of 2018, and I joined Shopify as a senior software developer. And within my first year, I was reporting to Rafael Franza. Rafael started having conversations with me where he was trying to figure out if I would be interested in becoming a manager as the next step in my career. And for a while, I think I had questions around that where I didn't want to stop being a technical contributor, but I also found it interesting that I could be an engineering manager. And I think what really tipped the scales for me was when my then colleague, Alexander Teresa, we were at an event in Ottawa and we we're going back to our hotel. I remember 
he stood me up outside the hotel on the street and gave me a half hour lecture where he was convincing me that he wanted me to be his manager. And he was saying that I would make a great manager. So I think that was the final drop in the bucket that ultimately convinced me to give it a try. Well, shout out to all those people who pushed you in that direction. It sounds like it's been a natural fit for you. So I think it's so important, no matter what stage you are in your career, that you have people amongst you, like trying to figure out if manager is the right path for you. So every manager has their own philosophies. What would you say is one of your core management philosophies that you practice? I don't know if I have any management philosophies crystallized yet, but I certainly have like a few principles I try and adhere by. I work with a great team. I work with a team that covers all the aspects of the work that needs to be done. Usually that means we have some domain experts or some people who can contribute to the work that is being done and who can take things on and solve problems. And then I want to make sure that I'm pushing enough information to the team so that they can make informed decisions and that I empower the team to make those decisions for themselves. And that's the team level. And then on the individual level, I try and push individuals to own their growth and also try to create opportunities for them to have that growth. And I think those are the principles that I try to follow to build the culture and the team dynamics on the teams that I work with. On the philosophy side, I think if we need to philosophize, one of the conversations I was having before I decided to be a manager with other people who were individual contributors at the time, they were thinking about how hard it is for a manager to understand the impact that they're having. For an individual contributor, that's kind of easy. Like you look at your commits or your you know, PRs or whatever, like there are lots of artifacts for the work that you're doing. But for a manager, that's kind of like a little bit more vague. I think at the time I had the realization that management is about counterfactuals. So how would things have worked out if you weren't there as a manager? That's how we should be measuring ourselves as managers. And that's, I think, ultimately the value that any manager is adding to the team. How are they making that team better by being there? I love that so much. So what do you dislike about management? I think one of the things I kind of dislike is, I think it's probably a personal thing, but that's like mostly doing paperwork or writing things or going through impact reviews. I enjoy the doing part, probably not so much the writing down part for myself, but otherwise I think that's also fine. And one other question there about how you manage. So as you were saying in your story, you started at Shopify as a software developer and, and transitioned and you're clearly still very technical. And I know that many technical folks worry that taking a path to management will mean they don't get to write code anymore. What are your thoughts here? Like I said, originally, that was one of my concerns because I like the problem solving aspect of coding, creating solutions through code. And I think I was scared that I would be cut off from that if I became a manager. But fortunately, up to this point, at least, I've been having enough time to still continue contributing to some of the work that my team is doing. Obviously, I try and make sure that I'm not on the critical path on any of those things. And I try to 
make sure that like the team gets to own m- most of the work. But there are a few areas where I have a lot of domain knowledge due to the project that I started on, which was gradual types adoption in our code base when I joined. And I don't want that domain knowledge to go to waste either. So I'm trying to stay technical and contribute as much as I can. Having said that, I think one of the risks of being a technical manager is that you could fall into kind of doing micromanagement because you have an understanding of the domain, you have an understanding of the technical challenges, you might feel like the team's direction isn't aligned with the direction you might have taken if you were in the same position. And that's a risk because as a manager, you really shouldn't be doing that. I've kind of found myself in that position a couple of times and tried to pull back. So it's been a learning experience for me as well. But yeah, so far I'm really enjoying the balance and I'm also enjoying the fact that I can help people solve problems through code. So I don't have to be the person who's solving problems through code myself. I can help other people to solve problems through code. And that's also very satisfying. That's really interesting to hear, especially because reflecting on, I think, what I found very helpful in our relationship where you manage me is that you'll often ask high level questions that aren't necessarily the nitty gritty of the problem, but like high level technical questions that'll push me or teach me or things like that. And it feels like exactly what you just described. Perfect. This episode is brought to you by Hook Relay. So you want to add webhooks to your app, and after having worked with the webhooks that Stripe provides, you want yours to be as great as theirs. Well, that's as easy as sending a JSON payload to your customer's URL, right? We all know that it's not that simple. In other words, there's so much more than just post a JSON payload to get webhooks that your customers will love. The good news is, Hook Relay has done all the hard work for you. If you are debugging a production issue or tracking down a specific webhook request, they provide you with all the details about your webhook interactions. It removes all the stress around failing and retrying services. It also lets you add a background job so you don't hold up your web requests, and you avoid extra costs for a background worker if you're deploying to Heroku. I'm honestly so excited that they make it painless to resend a webhook. If you are as intrigued as me, check out hookrelay.dev and get started today. What advice do you have for folks considering becoming managers? So this isn't the first time that I've been trying my hand at managing other people. I was managing director of a very small startup accelerator that we formed with two of my partners a couple of years back. And there I had to manage a small team and not just like technical people. And I hadn't really enjoyed that because it felt lonely at the time. And I think reflecting back on that experience and my current engineering management experience is that I'm surrounded with a fellow team of engineering managers within the Ruby and Rails infrastructure team that have been super helpful in my growth and in my understanding of what good management is and being supported like that. Originally, that was Rafael Franza, who was a great lead and he was my manager until a couple of years back. Having him as a role model, having his support, and then having the support of other managers within the team has been really helpful for me. So if people have the chance of getting that peer group, I would say totally lean on that and, you know, let other people help you in your career to management. I think that's fantastic advice. 
So, you know, let's lean on the fact that you are a technical manager because I want to hear your Ruby origin story. So what brought you to Ruby specifically and why do you continue to work on Ruby itself? So remember the Startup Accelerator I mentioned? When we first set that up, I was kind of like the managing director, also kind of like the CTO because I was the technical person there. And the first founder that we wanted to support, she was a solo founder. She had a good idea and she could execute on it, but she had no technical skills. She didn't have a technical co-founder. And we thought we could be that technical co-founder and, you know, help her with the technical side of the business as well. So I ended up being the person who was going to build that software as a service product. Up to then, I hadn't done Ruby or Rails, but I was hearing great things about it. And I wanted to get my hands dirty and learn it. And it felt like the best opportunity. I was going to build something. It needed to be built fast and cheap. And from everything that I've been hearing about Rails, that was the thing to build it on. And it turned out to be true. I taught myself Ruby, doing some like online courses or online resources, enough to be dangerous and then enough rails to build that product. And then we built a couple of more products at that company and I continued using Ruby and Rails. And basically that's the origin story. That's when I fell in love with the the language and the framework. And I think I'm still attracted to it. After that company, I then went to work for another company that was building a product on PHP micro framework. And I didn't have any problems contributing to a PHP code base either. And that was actually like a very well-written code base too. But even there, I pushed for having Ruby-based integration testing with Cucumber and Capybara because it's so easy to get those tools running the way you want. So I was scratching my itch. And then when this opportunity at Shopify was a thing, I was super excited because I was going to be able to work on and contribute to the language and the framework that was so helpful in my career and that I enjoyed so much working with. So that's why I'm still here and I still enjoy Ruby and Rails. I think that's an incredibly cool origin story that you had a situation where you needed to build a product and you learned Ruby and Rails in order to get it up. And then you had the opportunity to greenfield a couple more applications to almost like prove to yourself that you really loved it. So it's so great that you had that situation. But as someone who's been working in Ruby for a long time, what areas of Ruby are right for a change at the moment and why? I think Matt's has the right vision for the future of Ruby. His presented goal for the next major release of Ruby is to double down on the Ruby tooling and the Ruby developer experience. And we're Seeing that within Shopify as well, looking at the other language communities, like primarily the TypeScript community, they right now have great developer tooling, great editor integrations, code completion, refactoring toolings that in the Ruby community kind of only exists mostly within RubyMine, but no open source solution to it. Or there are, but they're like quite scattered. So that's one thing that we are actually trying to contribute to at Shopify. And I think that's a big area because the better tooling you can give to developers, the more productive they can be. And we actually firsthand observed that to be a thing. Like I said, my first project at Shopify was doing gradual types adoption on our Ruby and Rails code base. 
And we did that using Sorbet. And the moment we introduced the Sorbet editor integration within the company, we could see people being more productive because you suddenly gained the ability to go to definition or go find references or rename a constant across all the files and all the usages. Those kinds of refactorings are really hard to do in Ruby and really unsafe because you don't have the guarantees. But with static analysis and the right developer tooling, they become very simple and you get more confidence with the refactorings that you're making. So that's one area. Another area is obviously performance. Ruby has all the things that make developers happy and it's getting faster as well. I think another area of Ruby that's ripe for change would be performance. So while Ruby performance has been getting better in recent years, I think there's still things we can do there. And our team at Shopify has been doing a lot of work in that area. You probably heard about YJIT being contributed to Ruby core and the team is working on the next generation of YJIT right now. We're also trying to reimagine how the objects are laid out in memory with Ruby so that objects and their data live close to each other. So you get memory locality and that will speed things up. And we're also looking at a technique called object shapes to make access to object properties faster. And there are things that other people are looking at, not at Shopify as well. And I think all of these things are going to come together to make Ruby even greater with respect to performance, because most of the time when people complain about Ruby, it's not the fact that it's a great language, but that it's a slow language, which it isn't, but I think it can get faster. And like I said, we're also trying to do everything that we can to make sure that it gets faster too. What I find so interesting about that answer, and we had this conversation after Matt's keynote at RubyConf 2, is that it talks about improving Ruby from two angles, from the actual ease of development and from the language itself angle. You mentioned Shopify's work quite a bit in that answer. And so I wanted to follow up and hear your thoughts on what the ideal role is for Shopify in the larger Ruby ecosystem. Yeah, sure. Let me talk about Shopify a little bit. In case there's someone in the audience who doesn't know what Shopify is, Shopify is a company that helps businesses or actually people achieve independence by making it easier for them to start, run, and grow their businesses. And we have ambitions to be a hundred-year company supporting and growing entrepreneurs. But our platform is built on Ruby and Rails. And if we have ambitions to be a hundred-year company, that means we also need to ensure that the language and the framework we build on are also hundred-year languages and frameworks. So we invest heavily into the future and improvement of Ruby and Rails. Actually, our founder and CEO, Toby, is one of the original Rails core members. So Shopify has open source and contribution to these frameworks and languages in its DNA. And our team, the Ruby and Rails infrastructure team at Shopify, is an example of the investment the company is making towards that. I think the ideal role for Shopify within this ecosystem to contribute as much as we can to scaling Rails and to making sure that Ruby is always a language that entrepreneurs or founders can get started with. We are running Rails at scale. Our platform is probably the 
largest Rails code base in the world right now. And that scale makes us solve a lot of interesting problems. And we don't want those solutions to stay confined within Shopify's walls. We want those solutions to be owned by the community and to be available to everyone else. And that means we're trying to extract a lot of the techniques and the code from our code base, from our monolith, and give them back to the community as open source projects. Most recently, the Rails infrastructure team has successfully open sourced the maintenance tasks gem, for example. That maintenance tasks gem is responsible for making sure that jobs that do data maintenance within our application can run even with interruptions. They can run in the background and migrate millions of rows of data successfully with minimal manual intervention. But I'm also now seeing that after it's been open sourced, I'm seeing that smaller companies are also adopting maintenance tasks successfully for much smaller data sets, but it's also making their lives easier. So I think the bigger role for Shopify within the ecosystem is to share all this learning, to share them with the community and to collaborate with the community and other companies within the ecosystem to make this better for all of us. Hi, everyone. It's Brian, your co-host. I'd like to talk to you about something that is very near and dear to my heart, and that's the software consultancy I co-founded in 2001, Atlantis Technology. Some of the longtime listeners here may know Mirror was born out of Atlantis back in 2006 when we figured, let's try being Ruby engineers who recruit Ruby engineers. It was a unique idea that clicked and now has become my life's work. But while I've been growing Mirror for the past 15 years, Atlantis has continued to grow as well. Atlantis still specializes in Ruby on Rails software development and collaborates on some pretty meaningful projects. Here are a couple of my favorites. An interactive education tool to help elementary school students learn how to read. How cool is that, right? Second is a SaaS application for clinics and hospitals to treat patients remotely. So my point is the work we do is really meaningful and impactful to others. But the best part is the work gets done by great developers who also happen to be great people. Atlantis has always attracted egoless, empathetic engineers who love working together and we are actively seeking more remote engineers to help build the future for our clients. While I'm not doing the actual recruiting for Atlantis myself, since my time is so focused on Mirror clients, it'd be my privilege to connect you with our CTO and co-founder, John Collier, who after 19 years, I still describe as one of the most relentlessly positive human beings I know. If you'd like to meet John and hear more about working at Atlantis, just drop me an email at brian at mirrorplacement.com and I'll make an intro or apply directly at atlantistech.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. My follow-up question is that answer described quite well how the tools Shopify is putting out and how community members can really benefit from those. How can listeners, particularly those not working at Shopify, get involved in Ruby development? So I think if anyone wants to get a better understanding of the C Ruby code base, so that they can start contributing to it. The best first resource would be the Ruby under a microscope book. That was certainly very helpful for me when I was trying to understand how Ruby ticked internally. But for other open source communities like Rails, I can share what I've been doing 
And I think that maybe that might be helpful. I like obtaining a lot of context before trying to get involved. So for example, for the Ruby community, I am subscribed to all of the issues and all of the comments in all of the issues on the Ruby backtracker. So I'm up to date with what's happening, what bugs there are or what features are being proposed and what various people's stances on those features are. And that gives me a good context of how I can be helpful in that community. And similarly, I think if I was going to contribute or if I had intentions to contribute to Rails, for example, I think I would subscribe to be notified of all the issues that are being opened there to give them a read, to see if there's anything there that like I have any context on, or if there's a bug that I might maybe be able to solve and try my hand at it. And after a while, that gives you the confidence and the context to be productive in that domain. But also another thing is coding is a creative exercise. And like any other creative exercise, for example, if you want to write a good book, you need to read a lot of well-written books. At least that's what all the writers say. And I think it's similar for coding. If you want to contribute to these code bases, you need to definitely have a feeling for how they're put together. And that means reading the code base and trying to get a sense of how it's put together, how you can contribute to various parts of it. And I think that's the best first step for anyone that's interested in contributing to any of these code bases. That makes a lot of sense. So ingesting information as a way to learn more and then going based on what you're learning through that ingestion. Yes, that's a great summer. Nice. And earlier you were also talking about wanting Rails to be a tool that startups can use. Do you think it is at the moment that tool? Like, would you recommend it for startups? Yes, most definitely. I think the batteries included philosophy of Rails makes it very easy for any startup to get started. The biggest risk for a startup, again, like I'm going to wear my startup acceleration hat. The biggest risk for a startup is getting to market late. The quicker you can validate your hypothesis about your product, the better chances you have of being successful. So anything that cuts down that time of building your product or building your initial solution will be tremendously helpful for your startup. And Rails is exactly that because you don't need to make micro decisions. Most of the things are already planned for you or are already in place. You might need to override a few things here and there so that it works the way you exactly want it to. But for the general case, specifically for a web application, Rails is a great tool to get started with. And similarly, Ruby as a language is very easy to get started with, very malleable. So it's very easy to make changes. Maybe you inherit some technical debt while doing that. But at the initial stages of a startup, that's less important. The fact that Ruby is so malleable and you can change things and be quick and dirty makes it very important at that stage of a startup to get the initial product market fit or the validation for your initial prototype. So for all those reasons, I would still recommend Ruby and Rails for new startups. At the same time, I'm not a language framework fanatic. If you're building a startup, and you have to learn Ruby and Rails, maybe it's not the best tool for you. Maybe if you know another framework or another language way better and you can be more productive, of course, 
get started with that. But, you know, given a choice yeah. and given an equal playing field, I would always recommend Ruby and Rails. Well, I mean, I'm going to give you a gold star because typically at the end of every podcast, we always ask, you know, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? And I think you've done such an excellent job, you know, weaving throughout these questions, how you feel about it. But I do want to give you space if there's anything that you want to say about Ruby and Rails that you haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, let me give you a few thoughts. I think the future of Ruby and Rails communities are very bright especially with new folks that are coming into the community and making the kind of changes in the community that we needed. And I'm looking at you, Gemma, you're one of those people coming into the community and setting up WMBRB with Emily. I think that's very important for the sustainability and the continued success of the community. And again, like I'm not talking about the technical parts of the Ruby language or the Rails framework. I'm talking about the community being sustainable. And I think that's giving me hope for the future. And every time I go to RubyConf, every time I go to RailsConf and I meet new people there, I see how everyone's so welcoming and inclusive. And that gives me hope for the community going forward. And for the technical parts, I'm trying to make sure that what we all are doing our part in making sure that Ruby and Rails are here to stay and are frameworks and languages that new startups will continue choosing. So I'm also hopeful in that direction too. That's fantastic. Well, how can listeners follow you? I think the best way they can follow me is on Twitter. I don't tweet that much, but my DMs are open. If anyone wants to reach out, they can find me with my username, Paracycle, P-A-R-A-C-Y-C-L-E. And yeah, I think that's the best way. Excellent. Yeah. Well, first, thanks for that comment about WNB.RB. It means the world to hear from you. And second, more importantly, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you. Yeah, it's been my pleasure as well. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.